This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible.com. If you would like to support this podcast and start a 30-day trial membership, visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Season 11, Episode 22. This is Writing Excuses, Examining Unconscious Biases with Shannon Hale. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. And I'm living the unexamined life. <laughs> <laughs> and we have our wonderful friend Shannon Hale here joining us again. Thank you so much for having me. I listen to your podcast and I pretend you're all my best friends. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you are my best friend. Yeah, that's true, but the rest of these guys yeah. are... <laughs> so we want to do a podcast on our, our biases. Everybody has them. And they will get into your writing. And in many cases, it's really good for you to start looking at these things, seeing what you're doing, and um, examining them to make you a better writer. We are going to use specifically writing female characters um, because we have two women on the cast this time. Um, And that means that uh, Dan, Howard, and I are going to kind of step back from this one and say a lot less. And we're going to let me throw questions at Mary and Shannon talking about both, um, you know, how men write women and how women write women and what our unconscious biases might be. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Okay, so let's start into it. What, uh, what do we mean by this? What, what unconscious biases do people in our society have about women that often go into their fiction? Well, first of all, I would say from a very young age, we teach boys to only read stories about boys, whereas girls are encouraged to read stories about everyone. So from the beginning, we're training boys to only be interested in uh, stories about boys and have empathy for male characters. Um, This is true in fiction, and it certainly isn't true in television and movies where 80% of the main characters in movies continue to be male. And when there are a movie where the main character is a female, that is a chick flick that men don't go to. and so the first question is, are, as men, are men exposing themselves, please not literally, gentlemen, um, LTV has a harassment policy, so... Hey, they're, they're back on, they're back on, we're good. All right, okay, thanks. You can't tell, it's amazing with these, when you sit at these tables, you can't really tell if anyone's wearing pants, so... I am uh, not. So let me, let me ask you this question. Is this appropriate for our topic? Does this have to do with kind of whatever, what reason we have it, our definitions of masculinity... Yes. Yeah. Um, I noticed my, my little sons that when they, one of them, when they're really young, they might pick pink as their favorite color. My three-year-old Minnie Mouse is his favorite character. And the older ones all kind of go like this because right. it's not okay for a boy to like something feminine because they will get mocked. Yeah, this is something that, that happens in, uh, that, that's reinforced kind of constantly and, and very subtly. Mm-hmm. The, um, one of the, I was talk, walking down the street and I heard a construction guy talking to his friend who, who, you know, the bring your son to work day and had this conversation. It's like, oh, you have three sisters. Must be tough being surrounded by all those girls. So we're, we're telling kids, even, you know, even if you are trying to raise your child to be gender neutral, we're being raised in a society that is in offering these messages all the time. And it's not just boys. Women will also internalize this stuff too. Like I've caught myself saying to a guy, oh, you probably wouldn't like this. It's kind of a girly book. Mm -hmm. And then I'm appalled that I've just said that. Right. Well, and 
you were telling an amazing story yesterday about uh, Ursula K. Le Guin. Oh, yes. And the Wizard of Earthsea. Yeah, so, um, so I, I, I'm going to name drop because I was having tea with Ursula K. Le Guin. What? <laughs> so Ursula, <laughs> my friend, um, she was talking about how she regarded herself as a feminist. Um, and that when she wrote Wizard of Earth Sea, she wanted to do this groundbreaking book and do all, you know, break these rules, and that wizards were always wizened old men. So she wanted to do a book about a young man who was learning to be a wizard, which, you know, didn't exist. The books, there, that was, no one was writing a book like that. Uh, the, men, the, the main character was always a, a white man, and so she wrote a, a young POC character. Um, but she still wrote a man. When you look at the book, she says, you know, that there's these mistakes in it, that she, uh, the the aunt who teaches Ged how to use magic originally has no name. The girl that he has the first crush on is just the girl. And she said that it wasn't until much later that she realized that what she was doing was that she was writing a book for men because the only books that she had read had been written by men for men, and she had internalized all these things, and she had to spend a lot of time reprogram or deprogramming and examining her unconscious biases in order to write a book as a woman for women. And that's the reality for a man or a woman writing in our society, because there's no lack of stories written by men about men, and but there are very few. Um, the, the, when you, for example, when you're in high school English class. You can go through high school and college without ever being exposed to a female writer. Um, I can, off the top of my head, name 20 male authors who I've read multiple books by and, and I adore. And I would ask the men to ask themselves, can you name 20 female writers that you've read multiple books by and that you adore? We protect boys and men from having to even think about and be interested in female stories. I talk about this a lot because I've had many experiences um, of di- basically discrimination as a, as a female writer, uh, for example, going to a, a school to do an assembly and having the administration take the girls out of class to come to my assembly but leave the boys behind because as a woman, I only have anything of interest to say to girls. See, I went to that same school and they only brought me the boys. Did that happen exact to you? Exact school. Because I've asked mm-hmm. multiple schools have done this to me. Yeah. I always ask them, have you had a male writer? And in that case, they always, they always had the yep. full school. Because I went and found it because I heard this story. But even still, they did this thing where they're like, the girls won't be interested in your book, Brandon. Right. And it's just as damaging <laughs> mm-hmm. the other way around. And, you know, when, we're, when you're talking about writing stories and, and, and being a writer and being a reader, you're not talking about, you know, gendered topics like your menstrual right. cycle and you. So there's really no reason to do that. <laughs> But because I talk about this a lot, I've heard so many stories, and, uh, and, and some of them being in our high school English class, we read Moby Dick. And then the next book we were going to read is Pride and Prejudice, but the boys refused. So the teacher found an alternate title by a male author so the boys wouldn't have to read a female author. I've heard this hundreds of times where we're protecting boys from girls' stories as though they're going to be sullied by the femininity. Well, we do have cooties. Well, that's true. (laughs) But where it's damaging besides just basic human empathy is as writers, if you're not exposed to the full spectrum of the human experience, you're not going to be able to write as well. I have many male uh, author friends, not at this table, but um, (laughs) who are extraordinary human beings and have wonderful, interesting uh, women in their lives. And then in their books, their female characters are 
really awful, bad stereotypes. And it's because they're basing their female characters on characters they've read rather than opening themselves up to reality. Exactly. And that's one of the things is that, that these, when, these unconscious biases, and these are things that you've internalized and you, you think are common sense, and mm. those can reinforce stereotypes. And although we are using women as an example, this kind of thing happens across the spectrum of humanity. Right. And when you start talking about people of color, the intersection of being a woman of color, you know, mm-hmm. being a woman and being a person of color, the amount of unconscious bias that you have to deal with on an, every, on an everyday basis is something that is worth examining. But we, and that's why we're, we're using yeah. women as an example. You know, they told me when I was coming up with this topic, you guys said, don't use feminist in the title, feminism, because it's such a charged topic. Yeah. Um, but the, when you get into feminism, what feminism really is is just examining this, right? Yeah. The actual literary yeah. theory. It's actually just equality, yeah. social, political, economic equality between the sexes. It's, it's a dictionary definition of feminism. Unfortunately, it's become a, a charged right. term. Well, I was actually using the literary term. Right. In oh, yeah. college, oh. feminism means examining gender yes. roles yeah. and just analyzing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you start analyzing this, like th- we're not coming to this with a political agenda. No. No. Whatever side you're on, what we're saying is if you don't analyze this, you will start doing this. An example of this is um, I, was, I wrote Mistborn, right? I, um, I'm like, I'm going to do a dynamic female protagonist in an epic fantasy story. And to most fans I talk to, they, they say I succeeded. I still defaulted to male for the rest of the team. All right. Yep. Now, a lot of, when I say this to people, they're like, it's okay, Brandon. You know, you've got dynamic females in all other books and things like this. It's great. Um, and plus, it kind of would make sense in the society. But the same thing is I wasn't sitting there and thinking, Oh, it makes sense in this society. That's not why I did it. I defaulted to male because of unconscious bias. Right. I didn't sit down and say, we're going we're gonna to make this, this the reasoning. And, and one of the things about this that I, I want to point out is, you know, it makes sense in the society. The society is a society you built. Yes. And you built it based on— uh, And I've, I've heard women get up on panels and say, why can't we have a society where I get to do wish fulfillment— <laughs> where the society isn't like every other one where the women don't get to take part in these sorts yeah. of things. So one of the things that I, I was talking about uh, on a panel earlier with Dan was uh, romance. Mm-hmm. Um, and romance is actually one of the it, – it's the highest selling genre, period, by a lot. Um, but it is written by women for women. And while there are some certain tropes of – romance that I am not keen on, um, like the alpha male, I'm, I'm like, sorry, that's a stalker, uh, and abusive. <laughs> I'm not happy about that. But the, the point being that, you know, the, and that's a stereotype. People think that they know what romance is, uh, but it is one of the few places where women are centered. And it's very hard in science fiction and fantasy to find books where women are centered and they are not by themselves. Can we stop for our book of the week here? The book of the week is actually called Women Destroy Science Fiction. <laughs> um, Mary, can you tell us about this book? Sure. So Lightspeed Magazine has been uh, responded to um, someone who said this ridiculous thing that women were destroying science fiction <laughs> uh, and, you know, shook his cane. And, <laughs> which is A not, man said that? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I just realized that was both ableist and ageist. Sorry about that. <laughs> Actually, I just, I'm, I am not going to use that one anymore. Um, but uh, the point being that uh, the thing about this, this response was that they said, all right, 
women have actually always been in science fiction. Um, might have heard of Mary Shelley. <laughs> Strange, you know. Ursula Le Guin, my friend. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, so they put together a um, they put together an anthology of stories by women. Uh, I also included a um, an a roundtable interview with Ursula Le Guin, Nancy Cress, Ellen Datlow, and Pat Cadigan about the early days of science fiction and how things have changed. And the answer is not a lot. Well, it is edited by Christy Yant, or Yant, um, and it has a multitude of narrators. You can find it at audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Start a trial membership and download Women Destroy Science Fiction to kick off your membership. All right, there's a question I want to ask you guys, um, and I'm curious to get your answers. Have you noticed and do you think about the, um, the, the books that have the one token awesome female yeah. who is not a stereotype, in the classic sense, but also has no flaws yeah. and no personality other than I am so cool yeah. that I could do anything. I have strong feelings about that character. And that character is really, really common in action and science fiction, fantasy books and movies. And they so much the default is, well, there's only one female character, but she's strong. Yes. And it, it, what's important is variety and diversity you can make female characters villains. That's okay. A villain has power. That's interesting power dynamic. If the more female characters you have, the more variety and diversity you're going to have, the more interesting the story is going to be. This is something male characters have had the luxury of for centuries. Mm-hmm. And it's time to allow more female characters than just the, the cold bee, you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and the mother character. Mm-hmm. And then this sort of personality... Without a, the woman without personality, but with a great face and body, who is the prize for the hero? Yeah, the, and one of the things that I want to talk about is um, the damage that it causes when you have someone who is a single representation, mm-hmm. right? Because particularly if if you think about it, I mean, we we learn from books. This is what we've been talking about. So when you have someone who's a single representation, what that does is it causes people to then think all women should be like that character. Um, And reinforces those internal biases. And it also means that everyone is then judged against that character. So it is very damaging. Whereas, as Shannon was saying, if you've got a wide variety, a spectrum, it's much easier to to understand that there's – sorry, one of the things that I'm aware of and frustrates me is that it is completely possible if you have a book in which there is only one female character – um, it is actually possible for a reader to come to that and have never read a book with a named female character. Yeah. And this could be their first representation and how they learn about women. Um, coming, coming to this uh, from, the, from the Y chromosome and uh, for a long time heavily biased point of view, it's, I it's love okay. it's, the term. It's genetic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Unfortunately, it's also heritable. <laughs> um, uh, I love the term unconscious bias right. because it allows me to take responsibility to learn something, mm-hmm. to make things conscious. And my takeaway for several years now has been every time I put a character in a book, every time I put dialogue in a book uh, or anything, I ask myself why and I'm willing to ask myself, is there a bias at play? That does not mean I catch all of them, 
but it means I'm far more aware than I used to be. I joked about living the unexamined life. It's still mostly unexamined, but I'm starting to look a little more closely at bits of it. And it's, it's taking more control of your writing. If instead you're always defaulting to a character that's kind of like yourself or if it's, a, it's a white man, it's making conscious choices about every character trait. You don't start with white male and then decide, should I make him a, a woman? You start with person. And then you start to decide race, gender, ability, age, body type, all these things. And then you make really cool, interesting characters and your story becomes more interesting and doesn't become like everything else. Uh, one of the great voices, one of the great crusaders for this is Gina Davis. Yeah. Who yeah. has a, uh, it, she, she talks primarily about film because that's where she works. And she has two rules that she's kind of campaigning for screenwriters to use. And they are so simple. And what I love about them is how easy it is just as a first step. It's not a great place to end, but as a first step. Number one, anytime you describe a scene, say, a crowd full of men and women. <laughs> and number two, you go through your screenplay and make sure that uh, every other spoken part, every other speaking part is a woman. And just those two simple things, even if it's just cop number one and cop number two and making sure that there's one of each, just those two tiny things are a really easy first step that any author can do to start adding more women and more equality into their fiction. And once you start doing those, you see so many more opportunities to go, oh, well, I can, I can flesh this out. I can make, wouldn't this character be so much more interesting if I did this? And it's, it's a great way. It's, it's so much easier than people think it is. And one reason why she did that is because in crowd scenes, uh, in movies are, by, on average, 17% female. And that is true whether it's live action or animated. Someone is making a choice to draw those crowd scenes, 17% uh, female, and what is that? Maybe 3%, 83, yeah. whatever. Um, and there's been a lot of studies done where if you take groups of people of equal number of men and women in business and school settings and let them talk for an hour and then afterwards interview them, who spoke more, men or women? If women spoke 17% of the time, it's perceived as being equal. If they spoke 30% of the time, it's perceived as women having dominated. We've become comfortable with having women less visible and think it's normal. And we need to be questioned that consciously in order to make a change. Um, and I would just like to add, if you've done this as a writer, um, because both men and women do it, mm -hmm. sure. it's oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's not okay, but it's okay to acknowledge right. that you have done it. And um, if you've had the one like Paragon Woman who is just super awesome um, and then that means you're trying, right? right? Yeah. You're trying to not make all the women a, a, a weak stereotype. There are steps to take, and you can learn and grow and get better, um, but it's okay to acknowledge it. Yeah, and I just have one thing to say before we break mm -hmm. for homework. Um, when, you, when you make a mistake, that's okay. That's no big deal. People make mistakes all the time. It's part of the learning process. The difference between a mistake and a failure is that with a mistake, you learn from it, and you do better the next time. A failure is you make a mistake and you double down and repeat that mistake. So it's okay to make mistakes as you're learning to write women. Just please don't fail. <laughs> All right, Shannon, you have some homework for us. Yes. Take something you've written and gender swap it. Every character that's a male, make him female. Every character that's female, make her male. And see how that changes the story. Often that will happen if you have a story with a lot of male characters, not many female characters, suddenly you're now newly male characters, you're going to say, why aren't they doing anything? Why are they just sitting around and only the female characters are doing everything? 
And, and it's going to open your eyes to how you treat the different genders. And then the challenge after that is see if you can actually make your named speaking characters half female and half male, just like they are in the real world. All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 